Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Workplace fatalities in America. A new report on victims of unsafe jobs. Today on the show, we're going to check in with the Labor Lab and Policy Matters Ohio on wage theft. Welcome to the Monday, January 2nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. First guest is Bob Funk, who's been on the show before on behalf of an organization that he founded called Labor Lab. A little background on uh, Bob. He's a communication strategist. He's played a role, a good role, in winning lockouts, holding union busters accountable, securing pay raises for thousands of workers, and defeating anti-union legislation like right to work. I mean, he is a fighter. This organization, Labor Lab, is uh, pretty interesting. In fact, they just came out with a new report that analyzed the Department of Labor's Office of Labor Management Standards, the OLMS. And uh, that data found, and if you're heading a union, maybe your secretary, treasurer, business manager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. LM10 and LM20 forms, okay? Those are forms that um, have to be filed, but they've fallen to nearly their lowest level in a decade. These forms disclose the relationship between companies and the consultants they engage in for labor activities, like union busting. Now, by law, the LM20s have to be filed by consultants, customarily people who work for union-busting firms, and they have to be filed within 30 days after they are hired with their names and the terms under which they were engaged. Well, guess what? Nobody seems to be following the law. Yeah. Uh, We've got some numbers on this. Bob reports 82% of anti-union consultants did not file the LM20s by the 30-day deadline in 2021. Consultants are also supposed to attach any written agreements they have with the companies that hire them, but only about a quarter of them did. So what the heck is going on here? I mean, why do we have laws if nobody's going to follow them? And I want to tell you, union busting is a big deal. $4.3 million was spent at Amazon on anti-union activities. I mean, a chunk of money. And there are law firms, that's all they do. That's all they do is bust unions. And they're hired to do just that. LaborLab.us. That's the website you want to go to. LaborLab.us. Bob Funk doing a great job over there. Our second guest on the show is Hannah Halbert. She is the executive director of an organization called Policy Matters Ohio. PolicyMattersOhio.org is their website. And uh, there's some good news here. The Cleveland City Council recently voted to approve what's called the Wage Theft and Payroll Fraud Prevention Ordinance, which is a move 
that will hold dishonest employers accountable and also help working Clevelanders make ends meet and make sure that the city budget is not rewarding companies who steal from their workers. You don't want that to happen. And apparently, Policy Matters Ohio had some help on this. There was a coalition of uh, you know, worker-friendly groups that advocated for municipal wage theft protections. And they got the support from the Cleveland City Council. It's certainly good news. And wage theft, oh my gosh, this is something, it, it's not just exclusive to Cleveland, Ohio. It's happening all over. Wage theft happens when, obviously, an employer does not pay an employee their full wages. Right now, it costs Ohio workers in excess of $600 million a year and nationally exceeds the cost of property crimes, including robberies, burglaries, and other thefts. Ohio employers, according to Policy Matters Ohio, steal from an estimated 230,000 workers a year by paying them less than the state or federal minimum wage. Okay, and in the federal minimum wage, you know what it is right now. It's seven twenty-five. Seven twenty-five an hour. Now in the state of Ohio, that is changing, and it started changing yesterday, and that's because of organized labor. Organized labor, I think it was back in uh, two thousand six, they basically passed a uh, a piece of legislation that indexes the minimum wage to inflation. And because inflation has been high, it's been going up, and it's going to be just over $10. I think it's $10.10 an hour for those in the state of Ohio. So certainly good news there. And again, you got to thank the Ohio AFL-CIO and a number of coalitions that move forward on that. So uh, Hannah Halbert, on behalf of Policy Matters Ohio, is going to be our uh, second guest right here on America's Workforce. And now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The organization National Kosh, this is the uh, group. We have referenced them on the show many, many times. They are a worker advocate group, and they deal with occupational safety. And uh, during 2021, so the numbers are really not up to date, But during that year, 5,190 workers died from sudden trauma on the job. This according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The BLS reported that a worker was killed every 101 minutes in 2021. Now, if that rate of preventable, key word there, preventable workplace fatalities has not been reduced In 2022, it means that at least 64 men and women have died since the agency issued its press release, which came out a couple of weeks ago, December 16th. Jessica Martinez is co-executive director of the National Council for Occupational Safety and Health, NCOSH, and she said too many lives are being lost from preventable causes. The unacceptably high death toll represents thousands of people taken away from their loved ones and thousands of empty seats at holiday celebrations. This does not even include the far greater number of workers who die from COVID-19 or long-term exposure to asbestos, silica, or other toxic hazards. She went on to say, we need an urgent wake-up call to our employers and our government. Listen to workers. Enforce our safety laws. 
remove known hazards, and let's work together to make sure that every worker comes home safely at the end of each shift. In addition to deaths from sudden workplace trauma, which typically takes the lives of 5,000 workers every year, an estimated 95,000 workers die each year in the U.S. from respiratory, circulatory, and other diseases caused by long-term exposure to, again, preventable occupational hazards. Now, we've got some disparities in these numbers. The data reveals alarming disparities in death rates based on the race and age of affected workers. Black and Latino workers are suffering deaths from workplace trauma at higher rates than white workers. Workers age 18 and 19 and workers age over 55 are also experiencing disproportionate risk. Check this out. The 653 black workers who died from workplace trauma in the year 2021, the highest ever recorded by the government, representing 12.6% of all fatalities, which, by the way, is an increase of 11% of all fatalities in 2020. Jessica adds, our safety laws are crystal clear. Employers are responsible for providing a workplace free from known hazards, and that means for all workers, regardless of age, gender, race, or ethnicity. We must address the discrimination and structural inequality, which puts some workers at greater risk, and confront these issues while also raising the bar to make sure that every workplace is as safe as possible every single day. Great organization, National Kosh, links the efforts of local worker health and safety coalitions in communities all across the United States. The uh, national website is nationalkosh.org, nationalkosh.org. Disparities in death rates, especially among blacks, Latinos, younger and older workers in America. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Bob Funk's going to tell us all about the Labor Lab and how union busters are getting away with a whole lot more. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. 
The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or do both. AWF Union Podcast. All right, let's go to Helena, Montana. And joining us once again, we had this guy on some months back, maybe a year ago now. Bob Funk is his name. And uh, he's got a background in communications, and he founded a company called Labor Lab. Real interesting organization. And what they do, they take a look at union busting in America. You know there's a lot of that going on. But who's funding it? You'd be surprised to know that you and I as taxpayers are. Bob Funk, welcome back to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Why don't you um, get back into Labor Lab and uh, explain to our listeners once again what this organization is all about and and how you uh, how you work your way up to it and why you're doing this kind of thing? Go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Labor Lab is a nonprofit uh, organization that focuses on investigative reporting and research uh, regarding the union busting industry. Simply put, we think that um, it's very clear in the law that we have a right to unionize. It's a fundamental human right to unionize. Um, But the union busting industry is absolutely out of control and isn't being held accountable. So a lot of what we do is the nitty gritty work of going through thousands and thousands of Department of Labor documents and tips and reports that we get and um, putting them into a database that tracks all the union busting that's happening across the country. And it's more than just Starbucks. It's more than just Amazon. Those are all huge problems. But people are shocked when they visit our website to find out how much union busting is happening in their backyard. You know, since we talked last, um, we've added to our um, mission the uh, doing a lot of investigative reporting now. We also um, give a voice to workers that are the ones that have been coerced or intimidated by their employers or who've had their rights violated. Just to put a face, it's not just numbers and stats, um, although that is all very important. We want to put a face to this issue as well. And The fact of the matter is we have a huge crisis when it comes to labor law in this country, namely that it's not being enforced. I 100% wholeheartedly support getting the PRO Act through. We absolutely have to, but I don't think we're going to be having 60 uh, senators voting yes anytime soon. So in the meantime, we have... We do have laws on the books that simply are not being enforced or the loopholes are being um, exploited um, by the union busting industry and its clients as well. So how long has Labor Lab been around and uh, your funding? How how are you funded to keep this uh, operation going, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. So we started on this operation um about two years ago, um, after defeating some right-to-work um, um, <clears throat> legislation here in my home state of Montana, um, and then we kind of want to take 
some of our approach in that fight and take it to a national level. So about a year into it, we um, secured funding from a wide array of uh, individuals, unionists, members. Um, We have labor councils supporting us, international unions, um, and some foundation support because they see the value in the research and reporting that we're doing. Now, for anyone listening, we need lots more support so we can bring more people on. Um, Because literally every single day, we see new reports of union busting at new employers all across the country. And we're working at breakneck speed, but uh, we simply don't have the capacity to cover everything. We're trying to, and we're the only ones that are trying to do it. Um, So if you're listening, we'd love your support. But yeah, it's coming from labor movement, sympathetic um, allies, and uh, people that want to get this country back on track when it comes to our labor laws. Well, Bob, you're on the right show. I think you know that. Uh, We have a lot of uh, big sponsors. We got uh, Liuna International. We got the Steelworkers. And uh, we should just drive everybody to your website right now so they can, number one, learn a little bit more about you. And hopefully once they know you a little bit better, maybe they'll write a check. (laughs) So, so, uh, (laughs) LaborLab.us, LaborLab.us. Okay, Bob, now let's get into the the nitty-gritty here. Um, There's a couple of forms that uh, you should get our listeners acquainted with because uh, you delve into this. You know what's going on, and you're pushing. I know you're pushing the Department of Labor to uh, be a little more open on this. So why don't you educate on these Educate us on these forms. Uh, one of them I'm looking at, what is it, uh, LM21? Let, let's start there, if you don't mind. Correct. Yeah, so there are, um, you know, for your listeners that are members of unions, um, there probably isn't a uh, a group of people that are more heavily regulated than um than unionists. Um, the amount of stuff that we have to report back to the Department of Labor, um, I mean, it, it's just monumentous compared to, well, what the other side's doing, which is what right. we're focusing on. There are three primary forms that matter that get, that are supposed to be filed with the Department of Labor um, under the Labor um, Management Disclosure Act. Um, they are the LM-21. That is what a union-busting persuader is supposed to file at the end of the year, saying how much money they made and who they got their money from. Now, there's a huge loophole in that form, which I think is what you're getting to, um, which is something that we're um, eager to get at. The two other forms are the LM-20, which is supposed to be filed within 30 days of a union buster engaging in a contract with an employer to, you know, start hosting coercive um, captive audience meetings and things of that nature. The final form is the LM-10, and that is what an employer is legally obligated to submit at the end of the year if they have hired any union-busting persuaders to hold captive audience meetings, one-on-ones, intimidate workers. Um, this this is where we get a lot of our information from. This is the law because it's in the public's interest to know what employers are hiring union busters and how much money they're spending on it. So we know exactly who is coming after our fundamental right to unionize. So those are the three forms we focus on. There's so much work that needs to be done on compliance on this uh, because the union busters and their clients are constantly um, just 
laughing the law, uh, laughing in the face of the law, and um, refusing to actually um, meet their obligations under federal law. Now, Bob, let me ask you that they're supposed to do this in a certain allotted time period. I'm seeing some like 30 days, some 90 days. Are they just not filling them or reporting them in time or are they just ignoring it altogether, not even bothering with this? Uh, Both. (laughs) Um, So, for example, we have some union busters that uh, are two years late in their filing. we, you know, actually, to your point, um, one of the exciting tools that we are going to be um, uh, debuting later this fall is a uh, interactive scorecard for every union busting firm in the country that engages in reportable persuader activities. So what you're going to be able to do is go to our website, type in uh, the name of the firm. Let's just use um, ILR, which is a big umbrella union busting firm based in Oklahoma, you're going to be able to look them up and see how many times they were late on the report and how long they were late. So basically a percentage of, um, you you see the percentage of the time that they break federal law and Mm -hmm. it is shocking. We've already built it and I don't think it'll surprise you to know that almost all of them get F's. Um, and so, so that's a that's a really big problem. And then on the employer side, um, we put out a report. Um, it, it got published on Labor Day, actually, that um, last year, 82% of employers did not file their required paperwork with the Department of Labor after hiring union busters. That's shocking. And wow. I, I, I can't think of a lot of laws that get so disregarded. So I'm Joe Union Buster. And uh, I, I, I don't even bother filing. What happens to me? What, what, what are the penalties here, Bob? So there are a couple of things. One is the forms. Um, if you lie on a form, which um, that happens a lot, it is perjury. Um, the Department of Labor can take civil action. Um, and again, if there's perjury, then we can talk about uh, criminal action, you know, knowingly disregarding this. The Department of Labor can start going after these folks. Um, they're starting, I think, we're, they're starting to pay attention to how big of a loophole this is. And but they have to come down on it harder. You know, um, one state, California, actually has created a state law that allows attorneys and their clients to actually go after and prosecute late filers or people that disregard the law for financial penalties. So there are ways to um, come down on these these guys the same way that we were hoping would happen in the PRO Act. Um, we, it's just a chunk of law that has been generally ignored and disregarded on both sides of the issue to be honest and you know until we get that Mm -hmm. until we get real labor law reform we got to make the laws that exist work for us in the way that they were supposed to yeah yeah we're we're talking about enforcement here i have to ask you this you know with marty walsh in the labor Mm -hmm. department he's done remarkable things and it's not even two years running Uh, i'm just wondering has this caught his attention and if it has caught cause his attention uh, and is, is he putting people on it do, do we know anything about that yet bob 
Yeah, so I, we do have a major enforcement um, problem when it comes it, it comes to um, labor law in this country. Absolutely, that is the heart of the issue. I can agree more with you when it comes to Secretary Walsh or the good people that work at the Department of Labor. This Department of Labor, uh, no one can argue with the fact that they are on the right side of the law, the right side of history, and the right side of working families. Um, I do think um, since we've launched our tracker, our ever-growing um, list of um, outreach list, I think we've been um, hitting this issue pretty hard, and we have started to see some movement on this from um, the Office of Labor Management Standards, which is under the Department of Labor, starting to take some action on um, these LM filings which sounds like such a bureaucratic issue, but it is so important if we're going to know how this industry um, operates and exploits workers. So the two main issues that we're most um, excited about right now with the Department of Labor is one, um, going back to those LM10s, which are the employer uh, provided documents at the end of the year, they would add a new section to those forms where the employer has to indicate if they are the recipient of federal contracts. And we know this is a big fight that's been happening on the um, national level. You know, Senator Sanders has been um, banging on this for a while, too, that we should stop sending our tax dollars to massive employers that uh, then go turn around and use that money to um, to take advantage and deny their workers the right to unionize. Uh, we recently ran a report on how GE Aviation has been running union-busting campaigns. Well, GE is one of the largest recipients of federal dollars in the nation. Um, this would make a real – now, obviously, we have to talk about enforcement and actually make sure those employers start submitting the forms they're supposed to be submitting. But if we could have them indicate whether or not they are a federal contractor, that could make a real dif difference um, on the um, policy and political stage. I mean, just think of the example, right? You know, we've got a federal co uh, contractor building a highway in Congressman X's district, and they find out that they're a federal contractor that's using that money to also union bust. I mean, there's a way that we can start putting more pressure on this. Um, and that's just one of the exciting yeah, yeah. Uh, transparency issues that we have. The second thing that... Um, that this department is hopefully looking at um, and something that Labor Lab is really pushing on is um, back in uh, 2016, it was um, the Office of Labor Management Standards uh, adopted a special enforcement policy, which basically said um, to union busters, when they file their LM21s at the end of the year, they don't actually have to itemize who the employers were that hired them, that's a huge problem for us because we need to know, uh, we need these union busters to be legally obligated to tell us who their clients were so that we can go and cross-check that to see which employers are um, ignoring the law and not filing themselves. The third thing yeah, that we yeah. haven't heard anything about in a while, and this is the only part that I'm disappointed on, is um, the persuader rule. Um, a number of times so far I've mentioned persuaders. Right now, um, there's a massive loophole that allows, for example, one of my, I think, worst examples is uh, 
law firm called Littler Mendelssohn, and they are one of the biggest law firms when it comes to union busting. Uh, they are the the firm that has been retained by Starbucks in all of their uh, union busting. Littler Mendelssohn and Starbucks don't have to report anything to the Department of Labor because those attorneys are not meeting face-to-face with the workers. It's called an advice loophole, and it is so big you could drive – a yacht through it. You know, it is massive and that's a huge, <laughs> huge problem. Um, and so we need that closed and the Obama administration yeah, yeah. started to make those moves. And then obviously, um, 2016 election results changed that dramatically, but obviously that is not the intent of the law. The intent of the law wasn't that, um, if you just get if you hire an expensive law firm and they get telling you how to run a union busting campaign, you're not supposed to have to disclose that. I mean, it's just so yeah, disingenuous. Yeah. Anyone that thinks that that was not um, that thinks that that's what the intent of the law was. Bob, I'm so glad you brought that up because I work in the court system and I work around a lot of lawyers. And for the life of me, I just couldn't figure out how they were able to skirt the law. But you gave me the information and how they uh, don't do it face to face and. Leave it to a lawyer to come up with a a loophole. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Bob Funk joining us on our live line, and uh, he is the executive director of Labor Lab. Got to check out the website. LaborLab.us is the website. LaborLab.us. We'll continue the conversation right after this. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. 
back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. Keep those five-star ratings going. We love that a lot. Bob Funk joining us on our live line from Helena, Montana. In fact, he used to work with the uh, Montana AFL-CIO when they were fighting right to work. And I'll tell you, there's always battles with right to work. And uh, what Bob does, essentially, he, uh, he sheds a lot of light on union busters. And the union busting industry is unbelievable how much money they're spending. Amazon, for one, I remember talking about this on the show, $4.3 million in one year, in one year spent on anti-union activities at UPS, $2,625 a day, a day. I know the Teamsters are going to have a big uh, deal with uh, getting the new contract. That's going to be in uh, July of 2023. But what really irks me, irks you, and should bother a whole lot of Americans is the very fact, and you touched on this in the first segment, Bob, about our tax money. You, you mentioned General Electric. Here is a company that works with the federal government. They have a history of working with the federal government. In fact, I'm reading here, according to Bloomberg Law, GE was the 18th largest federal contractor going back to, to 2020 two years ago, the 11th largest defense contractor, and they're union busting. So I'm wondering, you said Bernie Sanders is trying to cast some light on this uh, with the Biden administration. I'm wondering, you know, they have this Buy America policy. There's things that they can do that they can make executive orders on. Can they just say enough is enough? We have to stop this. You cannot try to bust the union if you're going to get tax money? Can that be done, Bob? Absolutely. Um, so this really kind of, it, it got the attention it deserved for a brief moment um, earlier this year uh, with the Amazon fight, uh, the same time that Amazon was spending millions of dollars, as you, you pointed out, on union busting. It was the same time that they were, they were getting massive contracts from the federal government. I mean, that's, that's really backwards. We have a federally protected right to unionize, but our federal tax dollars are being used to violate that federally protected right. Um, I know that a lot of things are backwards in Washington, D.C., but that seems absolutely ridiculously backwards. And we're seeing this across the board. I mean, federal contractors are big are are big drivers of a lot of economies around uh, the, the nation. And that's mm-hmm. great, but they shouldn't be using those dollars and they're, uh, that they're getting from us to violate my fellow citizens' rights. And that is a huge problem and something that we're trying to shed some light on is looking into exactly who our federal contractors are. And then when they pop up in the reports that we're examining, we want to bring attention to that because um, I think that's just one of the many easy steps that we could take to combat the union busting industry in the United States without having to pass massive legislation um, to make that happen. And right now, as you well know, there's a lot of organizing going on. The NLRB is very, very active in, 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 in you know, checking out various unions and some of them not affiliated with the AFL-CIO, like the Amazon Labor Union. There's many of them. And they're all working from the ground up trying to organize. And here come... 
the union busters. You mentioned the law firms and all that. So union busting activity, uh, I, I would imagine it's, it's got to be at an all-time high right now, don't you think? Oh, so one of the as, – as we talked about in the first segment, you know, we really have to tackle the enforcement and reporting to find out how insidious and uh, corrosive this industry is. That said, we do know that this industry is blowing up. The number of new – just alone the number of new subcontractors – that are union busting and being hired to union bus is exploding. We're seeing people we've never seen in the game before because they know that this is a lucrative industry that they can get into. Um, You know, it's because it it is, it's, it, the work is copy paste the same union busting campaign, move on to the next shop and get paid $500 an hour. I mean, that sounds like a pretty sweet gig if you don't have a soul. Yeah, really. If you don't have a soul, good point. (laughs) Yeah. Unbelievable. I am looking at some figures right now. This is from the uh, Economic Policy Institute report. We're going back three years, so you know it's going to be higher. They found out an estimated $340 million a year. $340 million a year was spent on union avoidance companies. That's between a four-year period, 2014 and 2018. Again, we did not see the amount of organizing going on back then as we're seeing now. So that figure could be double when you, when you think about yes. that. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, I want to tell you something here, Mr. Funk. You've come a long way. I remember the last time I talked to you, and uh, it seems like you're getting a lot of support. I know you got an investigative background. I'm sure that helps. But I like this idea of the scorecard. And you know what it reminds me of? You're probably familiar with an organization which we featured on the show, oh my God, many, many times. They're called Good Jobs First. Greg Leroy started this organization back in the late 1990s. And what he's essentially done, he, much like you, he follows the money. And uh, in, in what he does there is follow our tax money, how they're subsidizing corporations and not creating the jobs that they're promising. They're saying, oh, if you give us a $200 million tax break, we're going to create uh, 10,000 jobs. Sometimes it's just a few. And he casts a lot of light on that. So very similar operation. I like uh, I like what's going on here. LaborLab.us is a website. We're going to have to run along here. I'm just wondering, any anything that you want to call attention to? I, I know you need some more money. Those of you listening right now, especially some of the big unions, maybe you can help them out because it's going to make your job as a union easier if you know who the union busters are. So, Bob, take it from there. I don't think I could have put it more perfectly. So I'm going to let uh, what you said. I'm just going to echo it. Um, we, th- This whole movement is about solidarity, and uh, we provide all of this free of charge. Uh, we make it available to journalists, unions, the public, policymakers, um, but it's not free for us to do. So if if you're out there and you want to support this organization, laborlab.us, um, or, uh, or contact me, um, really appreciate being on here. Love your show. Okay, the Twitter handle also is laborlabus. Website is laborlabus, www.laborlabus. Bob Funk, executive director, based in Helena, Montana. You take care, stay safe, stay strong, and... 
Keep up what you're doing, okay, brother? Thank you very much, brother. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Policy Matters Ohio. Their executive director, Hannah Halbert, is going to be talking about wage theft. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment, 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. Now, if I told you that every year workers were getting screwed out of $600 million a year, you would probably say, Flash, wait, wait a minute, that can't be true. Well, it is true. It's called wage theft. And that's just one state in the state of Ohio. Let's go to line number uh, two right now. And joining us, we've had her on a number of times, and she comes from a great organization called Policy Matters Ohio, policymattersohio.org. And recently, the Cleveland City Council voted to approve what they call the Wage Theft and Payroll Fraud Prevention Ordinance, which is a move that will hold dishonest employers accountable and there's a lot of dishonest employers out there no doubt about that hannah halbert welcome back to america's workforce and you know before we get into uh, what happened at the cleveland city council why don't you give us a brief rundown of what policy matters ohio does and and what you've been doing with them obviously this is just one of many things that you've been able to accomplish so go ahead yeah, well, I'm happy to be on, joined in with you all. And uh, Policy Matters Ohio, we are a uh, think and do tank. So we spend our time thinking, researching, writing, building partnerships, allies, coalitions uh, across the state of Ohio to really figure out how can we make state policy work for working people? How can this economy work for everyone, whether you're in uh, a 
whether you're in Cleveland or if you're down in Chill Coffee, if you're black or white, no matter who you love, uh, everybody deserves a fair shot at a good life. And so we think about that a lot and think about what policy change needs to happen to ensure that that's possible for more and more Ohioans every year. Okay, good policy will make it good for workers. That's what it's all about. So talk to me about this uh, this wage theft and payroll fraud prevention ordinance. And and it's good that it it, it passed in the Cleveland City Council. So um, from start to finish, uh, you know, nothing happens overnight. Talk to me about that part. And and maybe you could get into some of the details here. I'm I'm sure this was a, a lengthy process. Go ahead. Well, this is a this is a demonstration of what can happen when you have a big crew of folks committed to doing some work for their community mm-hmm. and with their community. And so the organization it's called Guardians for Fair Work is the campaign that's made up of lots of different individuals and organizations. So there's the Northeast Ohio Worker Center. There's North Shore for Labor, SEIU One, Jobs with Justice. There's faith groups. There's arts organizations. There are individual workers. All came together and said, you know, we want to make something happen for the working people of Cleveland. And we've seen wage theft ordinances happen in other parts of the state. Cincinnati has one. Columbus has one. And we thought my goodness, this is already underway. Certainly the workers in Cleveland should have the same, if not better, than uh, the other folks across the state. And so it it started with those examples. Um, Lots of work in organizing and uh, legislative meetings with city council members and thinking through what an ordinance for Cleveland should look like. And ultimately, the, the North uh, Guardians for Fair Work got support from the mayor, from uh, Councilman Griffin, from uh, Councilwoman Maurer, and made this thing happen. Uh, and what are we going to get for these efforts? The quickest way to describe it is that the city of Cleveland will no longer be doing business with entities, employers, companies, uh, folks that they're doing procurement with, uh, who have been found guilty of violating wage and hour laws. So if there's a company out there who did not pay their workers, who were found to be in violation of those, I mean, the most basic labor protections that we have, then the city of Cleveland's just not going to do business with them for three years. Mm-hmm. They got to they gotta do right by people in order to get those public, you know, those contracts that come from um, the people. And so it's a good way to set a floor, set a standard, and hopefully increase enforcement of those laws across the board. So it's a, it's a big win for that organization, and Policy Matters is certainly glad to be part of it. So, Hannah, what I'm hearing here essentially is the, these are the people that do business with the city of Cleveland, and if they screw over the workers, they're not going to do business with the city of Cleveland. And as you indicated, it's going to take uh, several years, up to three years. I'm just wondering, well, first of all, this is kind of a two-part question here. Um, other than that, are there any penalties involved other than losing the contract? But what about this spilling over into the private sector? Because, you know, wage theft happens all over, public, private. You know the story there. Absolutely. Now, there are some other penalties that we're looking at for um, non-reporting. So if you know that you have been found, you've had this adverse determination against you and you don't tell, you don't fess up, there can be additional penalties for that kind of behavior. Um, And then as far as this spilling over, you know, 
part of uh, part of what was secured through this legislation that was passed is a board, a fair employment board, that will help enforce this ordinance. And part of that board is going to be looking at enforcement. So there's going to developing a complaint structure. Um, and I think there's also an opportunity for that board to look at other kinds of fair work policies um, and be a real partner, work in partnership, hopefully, with places like the Northeast Ohio Workers Center, with labor, with other community organizations, with faith, to sort of make sure that working in Cleveland means you can live in Cleveland. And so mm-hmm. that in and of itself is an opportunity to put worker issues closer to the top of everyone's priority list. And then this spillover into the market, greater enforcement is greater enforcement. Whenever employers know that there's going to be a consequence to shorting workers, they are not going to just add it to their bottom line. If they know that the consequence is going to be, hey, we can't compete for financial assistance from the city, we can't compete for contracting with the city, that's a lot bigger than saying, well, we short X number of workers, Eh, maybe it's the $20,000 we're saving, it's worth the risk. You're taking Mm -hmm. yourself out of a lot of potential work. And so those wage violations, those findings, doesn't have to be for work that people were doing on city contracts. It could be work that they were doing in other places in the private sector for for other entities. So hopefully this will be um, a, a new a new avenue of enforcement and a new way for people to to make this a priority. And then of course the the thing that's happening right now just talking about wage theft, this piece on educating folks about what their rights are under the law and what the resources are for them to uh, be able to exercise those rights. So not a lot of people, you know, fully understand, you know, what are my overtime rights? Mm -hmm. What if I don't get paid the minimum wage? What if, you know, when am I supposed to clock on and clock off? Uh, there's a lot of nuance in there that people may not fully, you know, appreciate, may not know how to act upon it. And part of putting this on as a city priority, something that they're interested in, means that that conversation is going to happen and hopefully see a lot more education and support for people broadly. Hannah, don't you think there's probably a lot of workers getting screwed on wages? They don't even realize it's happening. Yeah, they're probably thinking, oh, the government took a chunk out. That's where it went. But I guess you got to look at that that paycheck very, very closely and make sure you're getting, you know, if it's overtime, time and a half, it's important because that that is the law. And isn't it true that a lot of lower wage earners are victims of wage theft? I'm reading the average victim loses 24 percent of their take home pay. That's a lot. Mm And we're yeah. talking $2,900 if they stay on the job for a full year. I mean, percentage-wise, that's huge. But it, it, yeah. but in low-wage industries, isn't that, the, isn't that pretty much the case? Yeah, so, you know, that that is just on minimum wage violations. It doesn't even consider all of the other kinds of violations that might be going on. We don't have good data for those. And so we don't even know the full scale of all of this nickel and doming. Uh, between employers and employees. But, you know, we have seen violations happen through all sectors of the economy, Uh, certainly construction, hospitality, but also financial services, 
veterinary services. I mean, it, there's hardly a sector that's immune from this sort of behavior. And um, the bulk of it, though, you're exactly right. The bulk of it is this, uh, you know, sort of preying on low-wage workers. Uh, Three-fifths of the folks in Ohio who have uh, minimum wage violations are going to be women. So lots of women in those sectors of hospitality, of care work. And, you know, in our research, we found something really interesting is that black workers and white workers are victims of wage theft at similar rates. However, black workers, it looks like they have more of their income stolen, even though they're being uh, victimized at similar rates to their white counterparts. And we're, we think that this is uh, an indicator of labor market discrimination. So black workers tend to have fewer options if they just tell their boss to, you know, sort of take this job and shove it kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so they'll stay in positions where they are being treated very unfairly longer than their white counterparts. Our best uh, sort of analysis of what might be going on in some of those dynamics, but it is everywhere. Um, No one is necessarily immune to these kinds of of actions. Sometimes employers are doing it not intentionally, and there's a very quick resolution, and workers can be made whole, and sometimes they'll fight tooth and nail to the end of it. And Mm -hmm. now there's an additional resource to say, if you're fighting tooth and nail to avoid paying workers fairly, you can't be doing business in Cleveland or with Cleveland. Yeah, I know uh, now that it's passed, it to be funded, and we'll just follow that through the funding process. I'm sure that uh, there should be no problem there. I'm still going back at this figure that I mentioned at the mm-hmm. beginning of the interview. In the state of Ohio, wage theft, excess of $600 million a year. And here's the other part of the story. That $600 million a year? exceeds the cost of property crimes, including robberies, burglaries, and other thefts. Now, robberies and burglaries, they get all the news attention, okay? You (laughs) see that on the news every day. You don't hear anything about wage theft because there's a little bit here, there's a little bit there. A little bit out of the paycheck, a little bit out of the paycheck. It doesn't happen. It's it's not like somebody, you know, drove up and took $600 million away. No, no, it's happening a little bit by bit. And that's a sad part about this. But good news here with Policy Matters Ohio. Uh, pat yourself on the back and also uh, the <laughs> Guardians for Fair Work Coalition, along with Policy Matters Ohio, policymattersohio.org. Hannah, great job. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing, okay? Hey, same to you. Thanks for having us on. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, we'll check in with the Ohio AFL-CIO and the Building Trades Summer Camp in Michigan. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.